Good morning. Welcome to this time of worship at Houghton Wesleyan Church. I invite you to stand for the call to worship. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty, and your faithfulness surrounds you. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence, Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we are reminded today of your great love and faithfulness to each one of us every day. We give these moments now to you as you work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. What a great promise. 
as we gather for worship today, the promises of God to us. It's great to see you as uh, we've gathered for worship here. Those of you who join us on streaming, we're happy to have you as well with us. For those of you who are here, let me invite you to uh, take a moment, share a word of greeting with others here in worship this morning. Good morning. Valley Nursery School was started in the fall of 1968 in what was known as the Rec Hall, which had been the village church building until 1934. I was a charter member as the youngest student that year, and perhaps ever, 68, not 34. Early on in its history, the school moved to the Christian Education Building here at Houghton Wesleyan Church. From the beginning, Children from this congregation and the surrounding area attended together, setting the tone for the school to be both a ministry and an outreach. Today, Valley Preschool continues to meet on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday mornings from 9 to 11.45 from September through May, serving three-, four-, and five-year-olds in the area. Our enrollment varies from year to year, but we typically have just over 20 children. Valley Preschool is one of the ministries of our church that happens a bit off the radar because of when we meet. Even though it's a ministry totaling more hours each week while in session than many others, our congregation rarely gets to see us in operation as you are working, attending school, and fulfilling your own callings in various ways during our school day. With that in mind, I wanted to take this opportunity to show you a glimpse of our activities through pictures, share some general information, and thank you for the ways in which you help me have my dream job. Despite the fact that most of you rarely see what we do unless it's during a stage of life when your children or grandchildren are attending VPS, this church family has faithfully supported the ministry of Valley Preschool through giving to our scholarship fund at multiple Christmas Eve services, paying the director's salary, and budgeting funds for us to use if, during a given year, our enrollment falls below levels needed to pay our staff. With the hope of increasing our visibility to this congregation and the surrounding communities, and wanting to offer help to all of our families in the face of rapidly increasing costs, we took an annual activity we do with the children to a new level by holding our first-ever community-wide stone soup dinner. After much praying, learning, planning, and support from the VPS committee, I felt everything coming together and hoped that we would have at least 100 people and make between four and $800 beyond breaking even, enough to offset rising tuition costs by a couple of dollars per month per student. Because of our VPS families donating the vegetables for the soup, our expenses were only $354.79. On the night of the dinner, we served around 200 people and took in $1,862.79. I want whomever donated the 79 cents to know it helped us end with an even dollar amount profit of $1,508. Even though it will again cost us more per child next year to cover salaries, we should have enough funds available that we won't have to pass that cost along to those who can't afford the increase. We're so thankful to God and to all those who donated to help make this fundraiser a success and a blessing to area families. Most of our annual activities are my favorite, but I think my very favorite is our Easter celebration. For weeks now, we've been learning about Jesus going around doing good and showing he cares about and can help people when they are hungry, scared, sick, sinful, and in every type of need. Each year on the Monday before our Easter break, I tell the whole Easter story from the Last Supper straight through the resurrection. There really are no good stopping places. This approximately 20 minutes is the longest we ask the children to sit and listen in one stretch. Almost without fail, they give their undivided attention as the events unfold. 
The next preschool day, we remember each segment of the story with our own Stations of the Cross Easter party. We wash their feet, remember the Last Supper, pray together in the church sign garden or the prayer room, practice reverence as we look at the cross here in the sanctuary, think about how the cool, dark of the church basement can remind us of the tomb, and then burst forth into the light and sometimes sunshine of the outside. Please pray with me and my staff as we prepare for and communicate this story of God's love for these little ones in the coming weeks. There may be ways you can take part in this ministry. Please feel free to talk with me about opportunities during the remainder of this year or next year as we celebrate our 50th year. Student applications for the fall will be available in the coming weeks. I'm always happy to talk with people about Valley Preschool. Our Old Testament reading is Psalm 57. Have mercy on me, my God, have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God Most High, to God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me, God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love, reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand for the singing of the doxology. think today of the countless ways you lavish your love upon us, and now we give back to you in a spirit of thankfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.
It is that deep, deep love of Jesus that bids us come to him with our burdens and our concerns and also with our confessions. So please join me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Let's pray together. Merciful Savior, at your cross we find the beginning of each of our stories, sinners in need of God's grace. We confess that in our pride we neglect your grace, and in our judgment we withhold your grace. Forgive us, Lord, for the relationships in which we focus on past sins instead of present redemption in getting revenge instead of seeking forgiveness, for excluding rather than welcoming those who reflect your image, for worrying about gaining power rather than embracing humble vulnerability. By your strength, may we no longer regard anyone from a worldly point of view, but through the eyes of grace and redemption. Merciful Lord, Forgive us for the walls we have built out of hate, the boundaries we have created out of differences, and the lines we have drawn out of fear. Empower us to live as ambassadors of light in the darkness of this world. And may we embrace the words that empower our lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Amen. Holy Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers, our prayers of confession, which we, we honestly open our hearts to you and confess what you already know and see. We thank you, Father, for hearing our prayers of gratitude and thanksgiving. And we thank you for hearing our prayers of intercession for ourselves and for each other. Father, we pray your grace upon all who are struggling today with grief. We think especially of Mike Jordan and his family at the death of his grandmother, Kay Lindley. Kay, who was so long a part of this community impacted many people. And we thank you for her life. We pray for your comforting presence upon those who grieve for her death. We pray, Father, for others who are grieving today about a variety of things, about death, the death of a dream, about the past, And ask that you would give your comforting, healing presence to each of us. We pray, Father, for those who are struggling with illness and pain that comes to so many of us. We pray especially today for Leighton Saniset, Elaine Geens, Michelle Russell, Florence Tuber, Rosalind Danner, Isabella Doherty. For Tim Nichols and Bob Brown, Louise Princell. Hudson Hess, for Nancy Cole, Brian Orbacher, Peter Lingenfelter, Chuck Barrett, Cheryl O'Brien, Ben King, Doris Sepian, Isla Shea, Sheldon Emerson and Bill Getty, for Ella Woolsey, Mike Raybuck, for Bevrett, Micah Christensen, for Linda Roth and Emily Cricklar, and others who are on our minds and hearts today. May your healing grace be upon each one. Father, we thank you for the ministries of this church. and Particularly today, we thank you for the ministry of Valley Preschool. All of the lives that have been touched through the years. We pray that, that you will help our preschool to help these children know you, understand you, and enjoy you as you have created them in your image. And may what they learn in preschool be a foundation, a catalyst to follow you all of their lives. Father, we pray for churches around us and their ministries. We pray today for the Belfast Free Methodist Church and Pastor Calvin Smith. 
pour out your grace upon this congregation of believers as they worship you and serve you and impact their community. Father, we pray for our nation and the wider world. We pray for the leaders of our nation, those in Washington, those in Albany, those in Belmont and all around us. We pray, Father, that, that you will help each one to have your heart and mind. We pray, Father, for the refugees throughout the world. Millions of them, and those who are involved helping them. Whatever the circumstances are that precipitated their flight from home, protect them and bring them back to safety. Father, we pray for those who are recovering from disasters and and tragedies. We pray for those who live in places of war and violence and ask that you would bring peace. And we pray for your church around the world. For those who who are going out even now in villages and towns to show the local language editions of the Jesus film. And during this Easter season... We pray that it will especially be effective in in reaching people who've never heard the gospel. That there will be a large harvest of new believers. And it would not just be wide, but deep and eternal. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters throughout the world who live with the pressure and the stress and the burden of growing opposition to their faith in you. Give them courage. Protect them. And may they bear witness to the deep, deep love of Jesus in all that they do. Father, we pray that their witness would inspire us. Thank you for hearing our prayers today. We offer them in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who goes to the cross for us. And the one who leaves us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.
The New Testament reading comes from Matthew chapter 26, verses 47 through 56. Please stand for the reading of the gospel and remain standing for the hymn that follows. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Friend, do what you, have, do what you came for. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled? that say it must happen in this way. At that time, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place, that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. This is the word of the Lord. Children are now dismissed for Children's Church.
Please be seated. What fears do you wrestle with? You might call them, uh, there's a different term for them. Maybe uh, they're worries, concerns, anxieties. But you know, it's, it's those things that, that keep you awake at night. It's those things that, that when you're doing something sort of mindless, they come flashing into your mind. Those things that, that bring a certain level of stress to your life. In one way or another, we all wrestle with those. It might be something about your future. Maybe it's uncertain. It may be a financial concern. How am I going to pay for this or that? Maybe something related to your family, your relationships. Maybe it's something about your past. Maybe it's your health. I mean, the list is somewhat endless. As you think about the potential things that might bring a sense of fear to us. But I suspect that one of the fears that we wrestle with, maybe in secret and silence, might be the most difficult. It is the fear of God. It is a fear about God in our lives. It is the fear that God is going to ask us to do something that we don't want to do. That God is going to bring us to a place where we don't want to be. That God is going to lead us into an experience that we don't want to experience. That God is going to prevent us from doing something that we really want to do. And you see, throughout the scriptures, people who wrestle with fears about God. And perhaps no one more, more obvious and more blatant than the disciples. And we see that so clearly as we come to this scene in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus has, has been there with them, praying, they've been sleeping. And, and soon the, the, uh, the soldiers and the, the leaders of of the religious leaders come to arrest him. And and the writer says, at that point. And what he means by that is Jesus says, look, this is why I'm here. Because they want to fight. The disciples want to put up a fight for Jesus. And Jesus says, no, no, no. This is fulfilling what the scriptures have said about me from the beginning. This is why I've come. And he says, at that point... When they hear that, the disciples desert Jesus and flee. They run in fear. Now, it's not like this is the first time Jesus has spoken about death and the cross and sacrifice and surrender. He has been talking about that almost from the beginning. And they've heard it and they've heard it over and over again. But there is something about this moment that what was theory becomes real. You have a sense that before this, while they didn't understand and they may not have liked what Jesus was saying or agreed with him, it was sort of like, well, there goes Jesus talking about the death, death and cross, the cross again. But now they realize this is how it's going to be. And there's a big difference between theory and reality. I see that all the time in uh, premarital counseling sessions. You talk about all the different things trying to prepare a couple for marriage. All the different dynamics of things that, that you're trying to help them see and think through and think about as they get ready to, to join their lives together. And the whole time they're sitting there shaking their heads going, yeah, we get it, we get it, we get it. And, and I think they think that they do. I think I thought I did. But I'm not sure they do. Because what ends up happening, what I've decided a, long, a number of years ago is that 
I think one of, the, one of the best things I could do for them is to, part of the premarital counseling, is to schedule a couple of postmarital counseling sessions. And so about a month or so after the wedding, I contact them and say, hey, let's get together, like I talked about. It's fascinating how the conversations differ. Because what was theory for a long time, now is reality. And when we start talking about things, it's not, well, maybe someday, it's, yeah, we just went through that. And I think the disciples are wrestling with that. It, it's been theory. There's Jesus talking about it again. Now, this is real. And the fear overwhelms them. They struggle. In Matthew 16, Jesus gets the disciples together and he says, Who do people say that I am? And the disciples say, well, some people say John the Baptist, some people Elijah, some people Jeremiah. And the list goes on and on. And then he turns to them and says, okay, who do you say that I am? And Peter raises his hand and says, I know, I know. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, my father has revealed this to you, Peter. The implication is you could not have thought of that on your own. And it's on that truth that my kingdom, my church will be built and nothing, not even the gates of hell, can overcome it. And then Jesus begins to talk about the cross and about his death. And Peter pulls Jesus aside and says, stop talking like this. Heaven forbid, Lord, that's not going to happen to you. And the implication is we won't let it. And I heard someone say once, the disciples understand the personage of Jesus, but they can't grasp the purpose of Jesus. They can, they can fathom in their minds that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That is something they've been waiting for a long time, and they see it. What they can't realize is how that's going to work itself out in Jesus' life, and ultimately his death. They are wrestling to believe that the way of the cross is the way of life. They just can't quite see it. Because I suspect in the back of their minds, as they run from the garden, maybe echoing words echoing into their minds are, take up your cross and follow me. It's not just about Jesus. And when you stand in the shadow of the cross, when you allow the shadow of the cross to fall on you, you begin to understand that the definition of discipleship is surrender. What what it means to be a Christian is, is the surrender of our life. In, in Matthew Bates' book, Salvation by Allegiance Alone, his basic premise is that we, we tend to talk about faith as if it only means I believe in something. And he says, as important as that is, and, and as vital as that is, that's really not the point, the whole point of the gospel. The point of the gospel and the point of being a Christian and following Jesus and the very definition of it is allegiance to Jesus the King. It is recognizing that Jesus is the king, not us. And that we have given our lives in allegiance to him. To serve him, to honor him, to obey him. With our minds, with our actions, with our attitudes, with everything about us. And the desire for that is really what it means to be a Christian. And that's what you find as you, you, you have a sense of the shadow of the cross falling on you. And on me. Jesus hardly ever says, if ever, believe in me. What he says is, follow me. It's action. And we need to believe. Believing is important. But that's not the fulfillment. That's just getting us going. When we fail to see that discipleship is rooted in the cross, that discipleship is rooted in this, this life of surrender and abandonment, 
and allegiance to the king, when we fail to understand that, our fears have a tendency to tempt us to fight for Jesus instead of surrendering to Jesus. Because until we understand that, until we, as much as we can, grasp that and embrace that, we will be much more interested in in self-protection than in self-sacrifice. And so you see the disciples, they're in the garden. They're, they're flashing swords. Jesus, we'll fight for you to the death. And earlier, Peter has said, Jesus, I'll go to the death for you. And what he means is, I'll go to the death for you as long as dying is the way I think it ought to happen. Because we all, we, we all admire people who die in, in the heat of a battle, standing up for what's right and, and striving in that way. We honor those kind of people. But not so much people on a scaffold or burned at the stake or hanging on a cross. And yet that's the call of the gospel. And when we miss that, we don't understand that, we are tempted to fight for Jesus. It's one of the things that, that concerns me about the church in America is that it feels like Often the voices we hear are much more about are much more self-serving than they are self-giving. And I understand that because I'm always thinking about self-serving. And I suspect you're thinking about self-serving. It's the human condition. That's why the call of the gospel is something different. The call to surrender. And it's not though as though we don't have weapons. I mean, we have weapons. The church has, has used those weapons through the centuries. The weapons of wealth and power and influence. The weapons of our tongues. The weapons of, of whatever God has given us. We have used those weapons. But the call of the gospel is not to protect Jesus. It is to surrender to Jesus. And it's one thing to stand up for the truth. That's a part of our calling. That's a part of surrendering is standing up for the truth and being willing to give ourselves for the truth. That's surrender. And so Bonhoeffer writes in The Cost of Discipleship, the cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering which every person must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. Thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. It is always the call of the gospel. And when Christ calls a person, he bids us Come and die. Take up your cross and follow me. It's hard. Sometimes I think people who are not Christians may see that more clearly than we do. I heard not too long ago about, about an atheist, probably 30, 40 years ago, who uh, was, one, was an atheist who was often in the public eye, often spoke for that, that mindset. He wrote an autobiography, and in this autobiography, he acknowledged that there were two periods of time in his life, about 10 years apart, where he was at the, almost at the end of his rope. And he said, the second time was so bad, he said, that I almost prayed. He said, I almost got down on my knees. And he said, because I believe to pray is to get down on your knees. Isn't that a fascinating perspective? Thinking about the posture of prayer. He said, I was so, you know, I was at the point where I, where I almost prayed, and I'm sure that probably if I had prayed, I, I would have gotten up a different person than I went down. So probably I would have gotten off my knees a better person than I am. He said, I wrestled with it for a long time, but I finally came to the point where I decided, no, I'm not going to do that. 
And he said in retrospect, I'm glad. I'm glad I didn't pray. And then he said this, because I have a suspicion that when I got up from my knees, I would have lost me. And the person telling this said, that's one of the most profound theological statements I've ever heard. He understands that to pray, to come before God and to surrender your, to pray is to surrender yourself. And you lose me. I said, I couldn't do it. And you and I wrestle with that too. And the reason we wrestle so much with that is because we have a skewed view of who God is. Somewhere in the back of our minds, we have come to believe, maybe surely subconsciously, but we've come to believe that God is the enemy. That God's going to put demands on us that's going to make our lives miserable. God's going to put demands on us that's going to harm us and hurt us and prevent us from doing all the things that we want to do. Isn't that... The lie that the serpent tells Adam and Eve. And I'm convinced that everything about life comes back to our view of God. Every decision we make comes back to our view of God. Our attitudes come back to our view of God. Our actions come back to our view of God. Our willingness to surrender comes back to our view of God. What's fascinating is that when, you, when we stand in the shadow of the cross and we feel and hear this call to surrender, when we run from that, what we're really doing is running from grace. Because in the shadow of the cross is where we find grace. This is, this is a place of grace. This is a place of God's love. And we come to see that if God would do this for us, he must be good. He must be be better than we have ever dreamed or imagined. He must want something for us that is far beyond anything we have ever dreamed for ourselves in the cross. And when we really stand there and let the impact of the cross come upon us, we begin to see that this is not God our enemy. This is God our Savior. And it becomes our place of eternal refuge. It's fascinating to me to look at passages in the Old Testament, particularly, that talk about shadows. They're like like these. Psalm 17, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 57 that we read a few moments ago. Have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 91, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow. Rest in the shadow of the Almighty. God speaks to the prophet Isaiah, I put my words in your mouth and covered you with the shadow of my hand. I who set the heavens in place, who laid the foundations of the earth, and who say to Zion, you are my people. You're my beloved possession. You're mine. It kind of, it kind of adds a nuance to the first verse of Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Maybe, what shall I fear? Or as one translation says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. So, why am I afraid? Why am I afraid? And the call of the cross... It is to surrender, but it's to surrender to the one who loves us with an everlasting love, the deep, deep love of Jesus. The unfathomable, reckless love 
of Jesus. I heard recently about a woman who was a a violin virtuoso. She was highly regarded. She was she was moving up the, the circles of, of her profession. And she was a committed Christian, deeply committed Christian. And she said, one day, it's as though I heard the voice of God saying to me, will you give me your violin? And she said, Lord, I gave you my violin years ago. He said, I know, but what I'm really asking is, will you give up your violin? He said, well, Lord, now you're asking something different. He said, Lord, my violin's my life. He said, I know. She said, I I fretted about that decision for quite a while. I said, Lord, if if, if I give up my violin, I'll have nothing left. It's everything to me. He said, I know. And she said, I went back and forth about that decision with agony of spirit and soul. And finally, finally, I came to the place where I said, Lord, okay, I'll give up my violin. That's what you're asking me. I trust you. And the person she was telling this to asked her, so did anything happen when you did that? She had a big smile on her face and said, oh, yeah. She said, what happened is for the first time, I was free. She said, for the first time in my life, I owned my violin rather than my violin owning me. She said, I had insured my fingers for a great deal of money because I was, I knew that if I could no longer use my fingers, what possible would I have of my life left? And she said, I lived in constant fear about that happening. And when I gave it up, I was free. I was free. And here's the thing that struck me about that. Is that when we stand in the shadow of the cross, there is this distinct call to surrender, to allegiance to Jesus the King. But when we do that, what we're really doing is trading fear for freedom. We think we're losing our lives. What we're really doing is we're finding our life in the one who gave us life. I suspect that there's something in every one of our lives, that maybe we need to trade fear for freedom. Father, we want to thank you for the cross. Thank you for the call to to give up our fears and to be awash in your freedom. Give us grace to do just that. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.
receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you, keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.